Well, good morning, folks. It's a delight to be here with you. Uh, my name is Dwight Hires. Together with my wife, Sarah, we serve as your mission representatives in Mexico. We're here for a short period of time, and I thought I'd give you just a brief update of what's, what's happening. First of all, we have our OCL ministry, which is a ministry to special needs children. We have 55 children in that program. And of course, with every ch child comes a family. We've seen many families come to faith in Christ through that. We also have our seminary where we're training people and uh, helping equip them to serve as pla church planters. We have uh, had a little bit of a rough time this last year, in that, or the last three years, in that uh, we really have not had very many teams come down, uh, and uh, we're really missing that. At the same time, we established a goal to try to plant eight churches in five years' time, and then COVID hit. But you know what? God work went forward. We now have four churches that are meeting regularly, uh, just in their infantile stage, they don't have, none of them have officers yet or any of that, so they're not quite at the church stage, but uh, we've been able to purchase properties for three of them. Uh, here is that. First service didn't get to see this picture. This picture actually came to me today. Just yesterday, they were out uh, cleaning up this new property. Uh, it's the first property we've ever purchased on a paved street. And uh, we rejoice over that element, I'll tell you. Then also, um, they are a church that's really uniquely uh, set to reach people for Christ. And uh, this afternoon at 4 p.m., they will have their first ever service on their church property. So that's a step forward. Uh, pray for us as we uh, continue to try to pay for that property as well. Diego sat numb as the doctor tried to describe that his wife, Alexandria, uh, uh, Alejandrina, had stage four cancer. It was too late. They had overlooked the symptoms for far too long. He was on overload and could no longer understand the doctor's words. What was Diego to do? Diego knows that he's an adopted child of God, and Alejandrina is also God's daughter. So they anxiously went to their heavenly father in heaven. He begged God for the life of his dear wife. He asked the elders to pray and lay on hands for healing. He asked us all to pray. Amazingly, Alejandrina showed immediate God-caused improvement. A miracle came his way. But the cancer was not over. It was not done. It was just very dramatically reduced. Soon the cancer began to grow once again. So her doctor gave her chemotherapy with no real improvement other than it retarded the speed at which the cancer was advancing. The doctor reluctantly mentioned a experimental treatment which held very little hope that was available in Mexico City. Now that Mexico City is as far off as St. Louis, Missouri is from here. And for him, 
that meant nine months' salary. The 14,000 pesos were insurmountable in his mind. Diego was given a charity card, and with this card, he could go door to door asking friends and neighbors for, for funds. He could stand in public street corners and ask for money. But that would probably take about nine months to gather that money, and the doctor felt she probably only had 10 to 15 weeks left. Diego was in a real pickle of trust in God while facing the desperate facts that in reality there was an impending death of his wife. Did Diego dare ask more from the miracle he had already received? Did he have faith to ask without wavering? Diego was desperate. And as a child of God, he knew the truths taught in Galatians 4. So let's go there this morning and see his options. All scripture is within context. And one thing that we sometimes get confused, chapter and verse divisions are not inspired of God. They were added later for our convenience. And so this is a chapter that really flows directly out of chapter 3. Chapter 3 begins with that statement, Oh, you foolish Galatians, who has deceived you into believing that somehow you can be saved apart from faith? And then he goes on to, to say that, that everyone is saved, not through obedience to the law, but by faith. And then he uses Abraham as an example of that, that even before Christ, he was saved by faith, his righteousness came by faith. And so everyone, Jew and Gentile, all of us have this same righteousness that is brought to us by way of faith in Christ's death on Calvary's tree. Then in verses 19 to 29 of chapter three, he teaches the value of law, that indeed it has some value in leading nations to being united as one family, to having an awareness of sin, and that we're directly under God as sons in his kingdom. Now that's chapter three in a brief nutshell, so let's just pray before we read chapter four again. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Make it clear, get me out of the way, and your Holy Spirit in the center that you might speak to each individual heart wherever it is in processes of life this morning. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Chapter 4. Let's read that. Now I mean that the heir, as long as he is a minor, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he's under guardians and managers until the date is set by his father. So also we when we were minors, were enslaved under the basic forces of the world. But when the appropriate time had come, God sent out his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we may be adopted as sons with full rights. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, who calls Abba. Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if you're a son, then you are also an heir 
through God. If you're to summarize this passage, the key point of this passage is that airship brings new identity in Christ. New identity, new privileges, and everything. We are heirs of God. We have a new identity. We are now in Christ. We're not slaves who live in the palatial palace of the master, but can only eat the scraps and obey the commands of the master. That's not who we are. Verse 3 says we're no longer these minor children. The minor children have a lot more direction that they receive from their parents. It's true in every family. They don't have the freedom to make all the decisions because they don't make good decisions. We were minors. We no longer are. The trouble of it is, even though we're no longer minors, many of us have a little kid mentality when it comes to be children of God. We still operate as if we're little tykes and we're really not operating in the liberty and freedom that God has. See, the point is that a minor children are on, under all sorts of re rules. Minor children don't receive access to the inheritance until the adoption time comes. Minor children can't act with authority in the family affairs and decisions. See, in in, in the way that this is used in this case, you, you should really look, you should think of this part of adoption as kind of a coming of age ceremony. It's a time that the father appoints in which he says, you're my heir, you have freedom to the family fortune, you have freedom to operate and, as you would. The reality is that through Christ, we've reached a point where we're free to live in inherited grace. We don't have a need to earn position. We don't have a need to earn permission. See, you function as an adopted child when you excitedly serve God from grace and not from obligation. It's a different mentality. One of my roles is to disciple young pastors, and this year, more than any, any light coming on, I saw this come on in Esteban Rodriguez. Esteban, one of my disciples, uh, uh, it just seemed to really hit him, the power of grace in his life, that he wasn't serving God out of pure obligation, though there is a love obligation involved, he was serving him out of the freedom of a new creation in Christ and, and awesome. And the reality is, it changed dramatically. He has seen dozens, I think at least 35 people, trust Christ as Savior this year. Um, two week, just the Sunday before last, he actually baptized his first converts. Uh, it was fun to see him baptized for the first time. It's great. Uh, he is the pastor of that church that's meeting in the open field this afternoon at 4 p.m. You see, as spirit-led ones, we too are free to operate anywhere that is consistent with the new family freedom, the new identity. Every family should have its own identity. As a child, I was reminded 
many times. Well, we're hireses. We don't do that. Or we're hireses. This is how we act. Uh, I, I use the same technique with my children. There's, there are some things that other families do that we just don't do because we're different. And as believers, there are some things that we choose to behave differently that perhaps others have freedom to do. But we have this new family identity. You see, in biblical times, an heir is not someone who sometime in the far distant future will receive the family wealth, but it's someone who has now been publicly identified as having access to make family decisions and run the family fortune. However, of course, making family decisions is still done under the direction of the father. Unless, of course, you're a prodigal. Remember the prodigal who said, hey, it's mine. Give it to me. I'm out of here. And he wasted family fortune in utter self-centered stupidity. That is not what's being talked about in terms of what we have is this great inheritance. We don't squander it. We, we keep in mind the whole family together. You see, as an adopted child of God, right now, you have access to the riches of Christ Jesus. Those riches are spiritual riches in the heavenlies. It's not nearly as much about stuff that fit in your wallet or stuff that buy you whatever. We have eternal riches in Christ. Verse 6 describes this relationship to the father this by the term Abba, father, daddy, father, dada, papa, whatever you want to use there. The first most intimate term you would use between a child and his father. That's what we have. And that child has the right to ask a loving heavenly father what he wishes. And a wise, competent father will give anything that the child rightly needs that's within his power. Now, I many times as a father wanted to give something to my child that I thought he could use, but it wasn't within my power to give. Right? You've all been stuck in that role as parents. But the other side of it is, we've got a Heavenly Father who doesn't have those limits. And he has far greater wisdom as to what we need than what we as, as parents, ha parents have. The sonship is one of ten tender dependence. There's a lot of ways this is said. Romans Romans 8.15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery leading again to fear, but to, you received the spirit of adoption by where we cry, Abba, Father. A, you see, that child can ask a loving father anything he wishes, and a wise, competent father will give any to the, anything to the child that he needs. Mark 11 says, For this reason I tell you, whatever you pray and ask for, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. John 14, put it this way, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, 
so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Or in 15.7 it says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. 1 John 3.22 says, And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing to him. Now, of course, there are some assumed stipulations. As you read these, you see them. When you ask of the Father, there is to be taken into account what does glorify God? What is it in his name that is in his will and power? Uh, in what manners are we remaining in him? And in what ways are we being pleasing to God? These are all contained in these verses that I've just read. We can't turn God into a genie or some kind of vending machine. That's not what it's about. But we have a very wonderful opportunity to receive whatever we ask as God's adopted child. There's some great liberty given to us. Jesus taught the blessed kingdom principles in Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes we call them. And there it talks about the poor in spirit, the mourners, the meek, the famished, the merciful, the pure in heart, the persecuted and the insulted people. And all of those people, all those definitions are expressing a person who says, I can't do it on my own. I have a longing I can't meet. God can meet it in my place. I cast my cares on him. And that's the kind of person that is a kingdom child. In Matthew 5, it also talks about another type of person. It talks about those who are murderers, insulters of others, adulterers, and, and those are not sons of the kingdom. Now, it's very easy for us to get very righteous, self-righteous at that point and say, well, I'm obviously in the first category, not in the second, because I haven't, you know, that kind of attitude. But the truth is, when Jesus goes to explain those, he says, that's even the thought life. That's even the attitudes of the heart. That's not kingdom principle. That's not kingdom living. You see, if adopted heirs crave God and they're satisfied with him, then we have to ask, what's the opposite of adopted sons? You see, the, adopt, the opposite of adopted sons is orphans. You are sons, not orphans. An orphan, see, goes through life fending for themselves because they do not have anyone looking out for them. And it develops an orphan mentality. See, God's adoptions come with great blessings. Ephesians chapter 1 is a great example of this. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. For he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He did, not, he did this by predestining us to adoptions as his legal heirs through Jesus Christ according to the pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of the grace 
that has freely bestowed on us his dearly loved son. What a touching, touching passage. We have all of this in Christ as believers in the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf on the cross. These are high spiritual blessings. They involve things like salvation, eternal life, strength for living now, and daily access to the Father. You see, we are sons, not orphans. We are children of God, not orphans. An orphan, you see, is one who goes through life fending for themselves because they do not have anyone looking out for them. In the heart of an orphan, lust is natural because no one is looking out for me, so I have to make sure my needs are met. In the heart of an orphan, anger is natural because I need to get even for all the unjustly happened to me because nobody's protecting me. An orphan strives to feel significant and valued because no one is giving them an identity of value and significance. An orphan says, ah, if I need to use people, I'll do it. An orphan says, I'm on my own, after all, so I better grab what I can get. I have no father to supply what I need, so I grab it. An orphan fends for himself because he doesn't have a good father to provide for his needs. Let's go back to Diego for a moment. We left him in his time of desperation. We left him with a wife with cancer that had returned, a need for 17,000 pesos, time's running out, he doesn't have it, and he acted as an adopted son, not as an orphan. You see, again, at his request, the church fasted and prayed for Alejandrina, again anointing her with oil. As Sarah and I heard, of the experimental, experimental treatment, we knew of funds we already had in our possession given to us from people from the states should such a need arise. Joyously, we were able to give to the need and, our, and with our little faith, they headed off to Mexico City. Now, honestly, my faith was pretty weak. Honestly, I expected I likely would never see Alejandrina again this side of glory. But six months later, she returned, healed. And it's been four years and no evidence of cancer in her little body. She's a joyous woman. A great breaking news for you. I just met with them uh, less than a month ago as part of the act where Diego and Alejandrina, by faith, have enrolled as new seminary students for this fall and hope to become church planners. Hallelujah! That excites me. 
You see, Diego is not an orphan, but an adopted son of God. Diego and Alejandrina don't just fend for themselves because they have a loving heavenly father who richly supplies the needs of his kids and they know it firsthand. It is a spirit, the Bible says, it is the spirit who teaches us to cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, I need you. Daddy, this is beyond my control. Oh, God, please. And that's what we should do. You see, we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. We are not orphans to manage on our own. We don't have to fend for ourselves. We have a good Father who delights in us and delights to give us his good gifts as his children, and he knows exactly what we need. The Spirit is teaching us to look to our Father. You see, you and I, we have significance in Christ. We have the significance we need because he has crowned us, the Bible says, with glory and honor. Yes, we have longings, but longings are fulfilled because he does indeed give us everything we need. Sometimes that takes attitude adjustments because we get stuff on the need list that belong over on the want side. I admit that. But we have the satisfaction we crave because in his presence we have fullness of joy at his right hand. There are pleasures forevermore. As a child of God, I can drink deeply, the Bible says, of the spiritual resources I need. And out of my innermost being will sp sp flow springs of water to others. You see, an orphan heart goes empty into the world and starving, while an adopted son of God goes to the same world with far more to offer than to seek. That's the difference, folks. Are you operating in life in many ways as an orphan when you're an adopted heir? I mean, we have adoptions that have happened in our family, and, and quite honestly, at times, those adopted kids act more like they're still orphans. It's easy to get in an old pattern. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you can do the same thing. Be careful. Someone who is living like an orphan looks for love in all the wrong places, but an adopted child of the Most High God goes into the world to pour out the lo Father's love, which he himself received. He lives his life with the opposite of an, of an orphan heart. See, that is what Pasquale meant when he said, 
that uh, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person that can only receive its longings from God himself. Nothing else works because it's God-shaped vacuum. That's what St. Augustine says in his confessions when he said, Thou hast made us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until it finds its rest in thee. Sin shows me my heart. My actions can help me to understand what I really believe. My wanderings show me where I am not living as an adopted son or daughter of God. It shows me where I haven't bought into the reality that I am an heir and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You see, the question is, do we run to God or do we run to sin? That's something for us to reflect on from time to time. Do I act like an orphan or like an adopted son? Do I live in faith or do I live in fear? Is God my supply or do I grit it out the best I can? Are you tired? Are you tired of ways in which you've been gritting it out far too long? You need to start to revel in what it means to be an adopted child of God with all the riches of Christ given to you. Oh, Heavenly Father, help each one of us to learn to live in the grace relationship which is radically available to us. Prone to wander, Lord, we feel it. Prone to leave the God we love. Oh Lord, here's my heart. Take, seal it. Seal it for your courts above. God, may we be ones who are fully living in the new identity as adopted heirs and all that comes with it. Pour out your rich blessing to each one here that they find their comfort, their longings in you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.